in the midst of one of the busiest stretches of the season for Toronto FC as they kicked off five games in 15 days on Saturday in Orlando. Adding to that busyness in Canadian soccer circles is the first ever Soccer Saturday in Canadian Premier League history. We saw a triple header of home openers. My name is Mitchell Tierney. You are listening to the Footy Talks podcast. And this week on the show, we will chat about both of those topics with MLSsoccer.com and CampyL.ca contributor James Grazi. James, uh, I know I could certainly get used to uh, the busyness of of Saturdays in Canadian soccer now. It was pretty incredible, wasn't it, to have so many games that, that you could watch? Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I moved off my couch from about noon until uh, until midnight on Saturday. So it was. Uh... It was a lot. I'm not going to lie. There were some points where I sort of uh, my attention waned at, at, at certain parts of the day. But I mean, uh, the more the merrier when it comes to soccer matches, in my opinion. Yeah, certainly in, in mine as well. Um, and, and we'll talk about some of those this week on the podcast. I, I guess we'll start with uh, the Toronto FC win this weekend. Uh, again, I mentioned the first game of their 15 day stretch um, where they play five games. And uh, it was a two nothing win over Orlando City in Orlando Um, a game for me where they started out a little bit slow certainly towards the end of that second half it was all Orlando they they looked like they were you know very close to scoring on a few occasions I know Will Johnson had a shot that Quinton Westberg made an incredible save where not only did he save the ball but also he was able to keep any rebounds as well and um, that seemed like a turning point once they got to halftime because Toronto FC came out in the second half and um we're, we're definitely the better team from that stretch on uh, two incredible goals I mean a goal of the week candidate if not the goal of the week from Jonathan Osorio and then uh, a fantastic touch on on Jay Chapman's goal as well before he uh, was able to beat Brian Rowe through the legs and um, yeah I mean Toronto FC's now reached 16 points which took them 18 games to do so last year uh, they've now done it in eight and uh, an incredible stat from Martin Bailey as well Greg Vanny, he now has more wins than all of the other Toronto FC coaches combined uh, in 107 less matches. So uh, a bit of a record-breaking win for Toronto FC in some ways and uh, an important one as well, certainly, as they they get set for this stretch and uh, to start it off on a positive note, especially when they're going to be playing some of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, I think is, is big for them. Yeah, I think the way that I sort of looked at this match was it it wasn't a dominant performance. It wasn't the sort of high-flying TFC that we've seen on a couple of occasions this year. Uh, But it was a solid win on the road in tough conditions. And and in some way, it was a really necessary win, given the way that they came out so flat against Portland the week before. And Mm -hmm. as you said, there were more than a few sort of nervous moments at Westburg. Savon Johnson was big. There was another one late on Dom Dwyer just getting a big paw on a header that sort of you know, it prevented a, a sort of nervous last five or so minutes of, of stoppage time to to see out the result. And at this point in the season, you know, matches aren't always going to be pretty. We're still seeing the team, uh, you know, they haven't looked quite as bad as they did when the season began against Independiente in the, in the new way that Greg sort of wants them to play this season. But we're still, we're still seeing them sort of find their feet and figure out how it is that they want to go about things. And and there will always be days in MLS, especially when you're on the road and especially when it's hot conditions like it was in, in Florida on the weekend, 
that, uh, you know, the soccer isn't always pretty and, and sometimes you just need to, to stay strong and see it out and, and rely on guys to, uh, to come up with the big plays that prove the difference. One of the, uh, one of the quotes from Quinn Westberg post-match that sort of rung particularly true for me was that the job of a goalkeeper and the job of the defense and the, the job of the team in whole is to sort of set the platform for those guys to, to make the difference and for those guys to, to have those special moments and, you know, keeping a clean sheet, which is, uh, I think only their second one this season is, is something that, uh, I think Greg Vanny will be particularly happy with, uh, given the way that the season has gone thus far when it comes to conceding goals. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, uh, you know, that, that's a great quote is, is kind of, like you said, setting the, or like uh, Q said, setting the platform for, for the rest of those guys to, to make those special plays that, that ultimately proved to be the difference. And um, I, I'm wondering now if that's kind of what we're seeing with Westberg in terms of, you know, he, he hasn't necessarily been uh, outstanding. I mean, he made, the Orlando game was the first time where he made some really head-turning saves for me uh, a couple of them there was one at the end as well where he uh kept out a header that uh, again it, it would have allowed Orlando back into the match late um but he's just been he's been that kind of solid guy that I think Toronto FC maybe needs right now behind a back line that has struggled at times and certainly wasn't perfect again against Orlando um and on top of that as well his distribution uh is is very good and, and important I think for a team that plays such a possession style where if things aren't working well a Mavinga or a Simon or a Drew Moore can turn around and, and play it back to Westberg and it's not like it's gonna you know the possession's gonna die there Westberg has shown an ability to pick out passes well up the field he seems to be able to almost pinpoint players up the wing as he did on a few occasions in that game and in the Portland game as well and uh, it gets interesting now I mean we do have this game of or this stretch of five games now where I do expect we'll see uh, Alex Bono in a couple of them maybe even as soon as the Atlanta match uh, tomorrow but I I think at the moment you have to think Westberg's been uh, at least the you know at least a bit ahead in in the goalkeeping battle and certainly the fact that he started all of the recent games uh, seems to indicate that yeah it's uh it's really tough to get a straight answer from Greg Vanny when you try and talk to him about about who's won the starting position, especially when it comes <laughs> to goalkeepers. Yeah, he's a he's a big fan of, of having two number one keepers and and having competition for spaces, which means that guys are sort of pushing each other to uh, to perform at their best and and force him to make difficult decisions. That's what mm-hmm. he wants from his squad. And, you know, as you sort of mentioned, Quinton and, and Alex are both very different keepers. You know, Alex is more that traditional sort of shot stopper, uh, commands his area fairly well for the most part, but Westberg just adds that ability with his feet. That's something that uh, not all goalkeepers have. And, you know, there was an interesting quote, um, again, uh, I think it was a week or two ago from Greg Vanny when, when Westberg started to get a couple of games, and and, you know, Greg was very uh, reticent to, to say that that either keeper had an advantage over the other when it came to who was going to who was going to earn that starting position. He wanted to get both guys firing on all cylinders to really sort of see what they had before he before he committed to who was going to be his number one. And, and he, he set the benchmark of about 10 games. I'd I'd probably stretch that out closer to 15 or so where. 
you know, you want to see both keepers getting regular games and both and see how they sort of react to, to situations and, and mm-hmm. how the team plays with them. I think your point about the team perhaps being more comfortable with Westberg, given the way that they, they, they're looking to play this year, is, is an interesting one. Um, you know, I think Alex is a, is a very, very strong keeper, but we, we sometimes forget how young of a man he is, and, and he was thrust into that starting role pretty early in his career for a goalkeeper. And, you know, it's not unusual for there to be, you know, little setbacks or little times where he sort of has to take a step to the side and, and focus on different parts of his game and, and still learn the other aspects of his craft. And so as much as Westberg was also, was coming to push Bono for that number one spot, I, I sort of think that he was also brought in to train with Alex and to be to be somebody that Alex could model that part of his game after, and so mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see sort of how this plays out. As uh, the distribution aspect is really important for a team that's looking to play the way that Toronto are, because they commit so many numbers forward that if if you have to play back, which is something that you do in order to retain possession, and your goalkeeper just gives it away, you you've trapped so many guys on the wrong side of the ball for the other team to come at you and. MLS is such a league that that not necessarily counterattacking teams, but there are teams that really look for those. Like New York, the New York Red Bulls are the perfect example of this. They're teams that almost play for those moments where you've gotten yourself unbalanced, and a little bit of a mistake opens a window. And having a goalkeeper that that is a little bit looser in possession than you'd like really sort of exposes a team that that wants to play that way. And so this is definitely going to be one of those storylines to watch, but I, I wouldn't be ready uh, to herald either one as, as having a clear advantage over the other yet. Fair point. And you did mention that fact that Greg Vanny does like to have players make his job difficult a little bit in terms of you know pushing each other. And, and even during that MLS Cup season, we heard a lot about Benoit Sheru and the fact that he led kind of a, the second group of, of Toronto FC players and and how you know that second group playing against the first group uh, kept them very sharp throughout the season. Um, one of the players who's making it difficult for Greg Vanny right now in that sense is Jay Chapman because... This year, I, f- I feel like more than any other year, he's just been more consistent and more reliable off the bench. I mean, he seems to be Greg Vanny's first player on, on most occasions that, uh, that, that Vanny's calling over to, to sub on um, in, in all situations, whether the team's trailing, leading, or or they need a goal. Um, and, you know, he, he's been able to to put up the results so far, two goals and, and two assists so far this season in, in seven appearances. And uh, kind of the knock on him last year was he created a number of chances, but his finishing... Um, wasn't necessarily up to par. And we, we've seen that before with the Canadian midfielders, certainly in Jonathan Osorio, who um, the, the year before last year, which was his breakout season, he had a difficult start to the year where uh, he just seemed to to have lost his shooting boots in front of goal and, and kind of lost his confidence in his way out of the team. But um, Vanny mentioned before the year that, you know, it's it's kind of time for Chapman to, to turn a page here and really prove himself to be one of the, the first team guys because he's at 25. He's no longer a young player. I mean, this is a guy that's entering or in his prime years as a midfielder. So uh, I, th- I think that Vanny would certainly be happy with what he's gotten from Chapman this year and has, you know, like I said, is going to continue to make his job difficult in terms of selecting players if Chapman keeps playing this way. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that it's easy to forget here in Toronto is is that if Chapman was playing in in 
uh, let's say, 15 of the other MLS markets, he'd probably be a starting midfielder. The Toronto midfield, mm-hmm. especially when they're when they're playing with a three, as they did for so many years, uh, is a very difficult three to break into, whether it's Michael Bradley, Victor Vasquez, Jonathan Osorio, Marco, Marky Delgado, Benoit Sheru, as you mentioned before. Uh, there were a lot of players in front of him, and Jay has been extremely patient in terms of of keeping his head down and doing the work and not not vocalizing what I'm sure was was a frustrating spell for him. But the thing that sort of fascinates me is is looking over. I was just thinking about this as I was preparing uh, to speak with you today about sort of the evolution that we've seen in Jay in terms mm-hmm. of how he approaches the game. Um, if you cast your mind back to the first couple of times we talked, we saw him. He very much looked like a player that couldn't quite get the speed of MLS. He was still, he hadn't quite gotten his his game and his feet up to the level of of what it was required to be at this level. And, and so he would get on the ball, and, and you'd see him thinking, and you'd see the ideas formulating. But before he could do anything with it, somebody would be there, and it would all sort of fall apart. And then hmm. a couple of seasons later, you sort of you looked at him, and the speed was there. The 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 pace, phys- the physical pace required to, to execute was there, but all of a sudden the decision making and the thinking process, the thought process wasn't quite up to the speed where it could match what he could physically do. And, and I think what we've seen in, in granted limited action this year is that both of those have reached the level that are required right now, where he's not only physically capable of, of, of taking advantage of those little windows that open when the when the time period is there, but he's also thinking fast enough and being decisive enough in his actions that they're actually coming off. And, you know, as you said, he was, he was looking a little bit like one of those players who would get into the positions and then he didn't quite have the, uh, he didn't quite know whether to take a shot or whether to to make a pass or, or what was the right decision in that, in that moment. And I think that's all sort of come together this year. Uh, Post-match, he sort of noted that, he did spend some of the offseason working on his training, so that's all, I mean, on his finishing, so that's mm-hmm. obviously been a, a focal point. And he sort of said it himself uh, that, you know, confidence and sort of feeling like he belongs out there and, and finding a role within the team rather than looking at every outing as sort of his chance to, to catch attention has, has been a, a real difference for him this year. Yeah, you mentioned that it was just Toronto's uh, second clean sheet of the season uh, against Orlando. Uh, on Saturday and uh, I think it's fair to say Chris Mavinga was a big part of that again we saw it against Portland uh, in the previous game where uh, after kind of a difficult start to the season I mean uh, I felt like in some ways he was rushing things we saw him give away penalties where he didn't necessarily need to um, dive into some challenges that that kind of got things caught in behind him and you know when the back line's not working fully as a whole the mistakes like that kind of get um you know they, be, they become more obvious and and they become a bigger deal but these past couple of games uh, as kind of the defense as a whole has settled down maybe a little bit we've seen Chris Mavinga put on some you know unbelievable performances back to the level that we would expect of him as as probably one of the better defenders in MLS I mean, he was he's even playing goalkeeper at some points in that game against uh against Orlando where he cleared a couple of of shots kind of that were headed at Westberg uh, out of the way uh, one of them off the crossbar uh but you know it's it's 
at, at least in some ways, if if you want to look at the the defense improving, it's it's very important that Mavinga um, continues to play at this level and and an encouraging sign that he he has regained his form in some ways. Yeah, what's the nickname that's going around from the Magic Eraser or the Eraser? Yeah, or the Eraser. Like yeah. Uh, yeah, Chris is when Chris is in full flight. It's it's one of the most. You know, a couple of years ago, people were banding about, is he the best defender in, in MLS? And I think where, where that conversation sort of gets derailed is that he might be the flashiest defender in MLS in terms <laughs> of the things that he pulls off to prevent goals are just stunning. But, mm-hmm. you know, defenders, sometimes your job isn't necessarily to make those highlight real plays. It's to, it's to make the play before that play so you never get into that situation in the first place. And mm-hmm. Chris is, he's a physical specimen and, and the way that he can make up ground on people, I, I'll never forget that tackle against NYCFC a couple of years ago. I think it was Maxi Morales, uh, where Chris just ate up about eight yards to, to get a tackle. In. And it was just, yeah. it, it was, there aren't enough jaw dropping defensive plays in the game. So when they come around, we're all <laughs> sort of stunned by him. I think the challenge at Chris's hands is, is, I guess at his feet would be more appropriate way to say it, would be that, uh, you know he's no longer he's no longer the the 25 year old sort of stud defender that he has been for most of his career. He's he's reaching that point where he needs to continue to add other pieces to his game as he starts to get older. And maybe you're not quite as fast, and maybe you're not quite as athletic as you have been up to this point. So I think the real interesting thing to watch this year, especially if Drew Moore continues to struggle with injuries, is is can Chris sort of start to play outside of himself? And, and what I mean by that is not just do the job that's in front of him and not just come up with those big plays, but mm-hmm. do the little things in between the plays that set up the rest of the team to to be successful. And, you know, you could, you could make the argument that along with, you know, Josie Altador and Michael Bradley and, and Pozuelo or in the past, Jovinko, you know, Drew Moore and Chris Mavinga are some of the most important players out on that pitch for Toronto FC. And when Drew is not there, the thing that he does that, that Greg Vanny always, always crows about is Drew's ability to communicate with his players and make yeah. everyone around him better. And that's something that you definitely need. I go back to the season where it was a back three of Drew in between Eric Zabaleta and Nick Hagelin. And Drew's ability to orchestrate the movements of everyone around him just made that team so much more solid and it made it better than the sum of its parts and that'll be interesting to see if Chris who who has the best pedigree you can have in this sport can really sort of turn that corner and start to be a bit more of a a vocal coordinator of a of a total defensive effort as long as he's pulling off these plays he'll, he'll always have his spot on the pitch but the you always want to have a a new challenge in front of you as a professional. And I think that's going to be one of the more fascinating things to watch as the season goes on. Yeah. And certainly with uh, the amount of games uh, Drew has missed in, in, you know, the past couple of seasons and the fact that he's aging a little bit now, you, you want to see a guy like Mavinga step up and take that mantle as, as the backline leader. Um, Or, you know, they might have to to bring one in as well as uh, they we're kind of looking at doing a bit with the the Omar Gonzalez stuff that um, you know s- certainly certainly makes sense. I mean, uh, they were looking to bring him in, but it sounds like uh, that's not going to happen before the the deadline, uh, as that was nixed this week. Um, but 
let's talk about uh, transitioning from the first team to uh, some of the the up and coming players for Toronto FC, and, and maybe some of those players who will see Phil some of these roles in, in years to come. And let's start with Jaden Nelson, uh, who's been impressing very much with the Canadian under-17 team as they try to qualify for the uh, U-17 World Cup Canada. They lost 3-2 against the United States uh, after going up 2-0 to start their tournament, but they rebounded with 4-2 and 4-0 wins against Guatemala and Barbados, respectively. They're now playing Curaçao in the round of 16 on Thursday. And uh, Nelson's been the standout player in the, in this tournament uh a hat trick uh, against Guatemala and a player that I think Toronto FC fans should be keeping an eye on just because, well, one, I mean, you know, his, his clear ability. Um, but the, the other thing that uh, certainly makes him uh, a tantalizing prospect is the fact that he plays that winger position. And that's a position that one Toronto FC isn't that deep in right now. And two uh, is certainly part of the way Greg Vanny wants to play going forward. So uh, it, it, Nelson's certainly young and has a long way to go in his development, but is probably the most exciting player in Toronto FC's system right now at that position. So uh, it could be only a matter of time before we see him at least start to uh, sneak into the first team conversation and, and watching him play uh, at this tournament for the first time where I've seen a, kind of an extended look at him after, you know, just hearing the hearing all the praise he's been getting at the academy level. Uh, it's been very impressive. He, you can tell he's a he's a cut above. Yeah, I'm glad you added that caveat that, you know, maybe we should cool our heels a little bit when it comes to that sort of timeline we can expect for him to reach the first team. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's that's pretty interesting about Vanny, given his his academy background, is he tends to be very cautious when it comes to inserting young players into the lineup. We don't see Liam Frazier get a whole bunch of minutes. We don't see... uh, uh, Noble Okello hasn't hasn't really featured for the first team at all, and and even Io Akinola and Jordan Hamilton, who aren't the youngest characters anymore. Uh, I guess Io is still pretty young, but yeah, they're Greg makes these guys earn their minutes on the pitch, and what he mm-hmm. what he sort of demands of his young players is that he doesn't want them to be a liability out there. He needs you to be a seven every game, not a nine one game and a two the next game. And I haven't quite seen enough of Jaden. To really say, to really be able to project what he's going to sort of look like at that, at that full professional level, um, you know, academy football, youth football is, is one beast, but it's a totally different animal to sort of go out there against professionals, and that's one of the more fascinating things about TFC too is we get to see these guys that are just, you know, absolute world beaters when they're playing against people their own age, mm-hmm. go up against you know a twenty-five year old, a thirty-year-old defender, and. We've only seen a couple of minutes of Jaden at the USL level. It was in the final few few moments against Orlando City, who were a pretty young team, and, and he was tearing them to pieces and, and should have scored a goal or two in, in his brief cameo. And so mm-hmm. before we start talking about when he's on the first team radar, I'd uh, I'd expect to, to see him get a lot more minutes with TFC too. But he is a fascinating prospect. And as you mentioned, the winger position, uh, Jacob Schaffelberg, another guy who's really sort of made a name for himself in this early part of the season. Has been uh, is another winger, and there is definitely some space there in the first team for uh, for somebody to come through. But one of the things I've noticed a little bit about Vanny over the years is that when he brings a young player into the mix, he he likes to put challenges in front of them. And I think Jordan Hamilton is probably the best example of this, where he has the praise for him. He 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 respects what the player can do and the talent that the player has, but. 
talent alone isn't what necessarily makes you a professional. You have to yeah. work on your craft and, and you have to show your coach that you're willing to do the things that maybe you don't like doing as much as you like taking guys on one-on-one and scoring goals. And there are a lot of parts to being a forward or to being a winger that aren't those glamorous bits. And so when I spoke to Greg at the beginning of the season about some of the young guys, uh, another name that people might want to keep an eye out for is Jaquiel Marshall-Ruddy, who's uh, who also signed a TFC2 deal as a 14-year-old in the fall. And he's unlikely to see a lot of minutes in USL league one this season but he's one that's mm-hmm. sort of next up on the horizon but greg sort of contrasted the two of them and he mentioned that Jaden was a spectacular player with all the skill in the world but sometimes he, his decision making wasn't quite where it needs to be to be a professional sometimes as a winger you can't take the risks that you need to take in order to score goals if that's not what the game calls for at that moment and so the idea that Greg was sort of, you know, praising the player, but also also making it clear that there were more steps for him to take before he was ready was sort of a sign that he is definitely getting into that. He's in the universe of the first team <laughs> uh, consideration, but there's still a lot of little steps and a little a little signposts along the way that, that we'll need to see from him before we can necessarily start uh, penciling him into the starting lineup or anything like that. Yeah, and as you said, Tron off C2, an important step for him in terms of his development going forward. And, um, you know, like like you said, just getting those minutes against fully professional players and, and players older than him where uh, he will learn some of those lessons in, in terms of how tough it can be. But uh, I wanted to talk a bit about Toronto FC 2 as a whole so far this season. Uh, fourth in the League 1 USL standings, two wins, one loss, one draw. Um, it's, I mean, it's certainly been uh, more competitive than it has been in recent years and they're playing in the USL championship. And, uh, I think we've, we've certainly seen a couple of players stand out for, for TFC two so far and, and make a good impression. I know Griffin Dorsey, as well as Jacob Schaffelberg, who you mentioned have been, uh, two of the players who have been impressing so far in terms of, um, you know, players who we might see at least make some cameos with the first team later on in the season. Season. I know Schaffelberg's uh, still not on a first-team contract, even though he did play uh, against Independiente, as as far as I know. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's probably been a positive start for the group, and uh, you know, at least having more winning soccer and and being able to play a little bit younger, I think has been uh, has been a positive for for a lot of these players' development. Yeah, on the selfish front, it's really nice to watch a game where the team has a chance of winning and, and you're not waiting <laughs> for that one sort of dreadful mistake that's going to prove their undoing. And, uh, you know, if you look at the story of TFC2 over the last couple of years, that was very much the case. They were a team that they could compete for 75 minutes, but they would have those little breakdowns and, and those breakdowns would prove costly against a team of, of grizzled veterans that knew what it took to win a game. And mm-hmm. So it's been particularly good for... You know, I sort of waver on whether it's better to struggle and lose and, and learn the lessons that come with that or, or whether winning is a skill as well. And and that's something that you need to learn how to do. And it's it's a, it's a pattern that you get yourself into. And, and I'm sure both have their, their pros and cons when it comes to what's best for a player's development. But, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a mixed sort of season. We don't really know quite what to make of, of League One at the moment, what the what the level of competition is going to be, what the quality of the opponents are going to be, how the depth of these rosters will play out over a tough season where you're seeing the same teams over and over and over again and mm-hmm. and how that all sort of plays into it. So 
we're all still sort of getting our feet under us and and figuring out just what just what this level is all about. And there have been several players that have done really well. Schaffelberg, as you mentioned, Dorsey has started to look more and more lively as he's gotten more familiar with his teammates. Uh, Luca Petrasso has two goals already, uh, which is a nice start for him. They haven't been the prettiest goals, but they all count the same, you know. And and Jordan Peruzza had a, a wonderful little deft chip over the Orlando keeper in the opener and, and picking up very much where he left off after joining the team last fall. And so he's another 17, 18-year-old to sort of keep in the back of your mind when it comes to it says the first team looking to add some more uh, some more bodies up there in, in the next couple of years. And in addition to those homegrown guys, I, I think two of the more interesting ones to watch are, are Fito Valle, the uh, the midfielder, the Chilean-American midfielder who's, who's uh, played in every match this year, and, and Patrick Monk-Anderson, the big Danish center back that they picked up in the Super Draft this year. And when you have a team that's full of, of teenagers and guys that are sort of just figuring out where they sort of fit in the professional landscape, having some guys with more experience and, and a little bit of uh, of nous in a, you know, Patrick came from the university system, but Fito has been around for a couple of years and played professionally in, in, in Chile and he played a little bit in Italy as well. And so mm. just having that sort of competitiveness in the squad and, you know, Sabasa Endo has been particularly vivacious down there. I'm sure he's itching to get his chance with the first team, which we may see during this really busy spell coming up here. And there are a lot of guys that have sort of turned heads with uh, with some solid performances. A little bit of a little bit of growing pains and, and a little bit of rotation with a bunch of guys being down in Texas for the Dallas Cup and the GA Cups a couple of weeks ago. But you know, Julian Dunn looks to have sort of continued his development. Matt Serbel has been really really impressive and you know, a good three or four inches taller than he was last year, which is always one of the shocks of, uh, of following TFC2 is, is you, you talk to a guy and six months later you talk to him again and, and he's towering over you now, whereas before you could look him in the eye reasonably. <laughs> and so uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on down there. And I think I think perhaps the, the biggest takeaway of the move to League One right now is that the games are going to be a little bit more interesting to watch they're not going there's not going to be that sort of foregone conclusion vibe that sort of was able to permeate the the feeling around the team in, in previous years and so you know that alone can be good the matches will be held up at the BMO training ground this year uh they're building a nice little uh sort of stadium type stand there for uh for a bunch of fans and that's good for the USSDA academy teams as well have a little bit more of a of a home field sort of feel to it as opposed to just being a pitch sort of in the middle of nowhere and so Mm -hmm. we're still really early in things now and it'll be one to watch over the the course of the season yeah and uh before we move on from the toronto fc segment i just wanted to talk briefly about the game tomorrow against atlanta united um very interesting game for Toronto FC, I think, in the in the sense that uh, certainly has not been the start to the season. Atlanta United would have wanted. I, I mean, Toronto FC know everything there is to know about MLS Cup hangovers, but uh, we saw a, a similarly hungover MLS Cup finalist come to Toronto the other week in the Portland Timbers, and they were ha- they had a very tough start to the year, but have won three straight and have kind of gotten back to to the team that we expected them to be this year. Atlanta. 
they've been even slower, but uh, they've won their last two. So uh, I think kind of regardless of their spot in the table, this is going to be a difficult match. And again, like with Toronto last year, anytime you get an opportunity to play the defending champion, uh, you kind of use it as, as something of a measuring stick match and an opportunity to um, really prove where you are at this point in the season. So I think it, it and especially going into Mercedes-Benz Stadium as well, it's it should be a, a good match for Toronto FC and a chance to see um, you know what this team looks like against a, a team that does still possess a lot of the best offensive weapons in MLS. No, and on top of that, we can't forget the uh, the sheer amount of ill will that there is between these two teams after right. some of the battles they've had over the years. There was the whole spitting thing, Mavinga red card madness a couple of years ago. There was uh, Toronto FC sort of denying Atlanta the supporter shield on the last day of the season last year with that big 4-1 win. And so point. in addition to sort of where the teams are in, in their current trajectory, there is, given that Atlanta is only in their third season, there is some history between these two. So this should be a fun one. It seems like both teams are sort of figuring themselves out. Toronto is a little up and down or uh, Atlanta seems to be a bit more on an upward trajectory with those two wins that you mentioned and looking a little bit more like themselves. So I'm sure that this is a game that, you know, it might be midweek and they might've played on Sunday, but it's one that uh, they will have had circled on their calendars in terms of a little bit of you guys embarrassed us at your place on the last day of the season. What can we do to make up for that this year? So uh, it should be a fun one, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me as well, and we'll have plenty of coverage on that over at Waking the Red and uh, on later editions of this podcast as well. But uh, let's move on to the Canadian Premier League, where um, obviously the weekend before was the was the launch week in the first game but this was kind of the first week where it felt like uh you know we were getting into the regular swing of things a little bit obviously it's not perfectly the regular swing of things in the, in the sense that we did see uh three home openers and three kind of first games ever played um for for clubs so so it was still there was still that new freshness about it but this was at least more uh like the league weeks we're going to see and weekends we're going to see throughout the uh, uh you know, regular season for years to come, and uh, it was it was pretty special. I mean, as we mentioned off the top, uh, Saturday full of soccer, a triple header of games, and um, some incredible matches. Um, I think all of them ended two to one. So there was there was goals scored. There was some drama, especially in that Halifax game where uh, they were able to score late and, and, and grab a winner there. So um, yeah, what were your impressions from uh, kind of the the first week of of regular, I guess, Canadian Premier League soccer. Yeah, as you said, it was a very entertaining week. I, You never can be quite sure how the excitement around a game is going to translate onto the field when it comes to a soccer match. You know, the, uh, the old cliche about finals being the worst matches because nobody wants to lose and and the, the potential of just a horrendous nil-nil being the sort of inaugural game for, for this new league <laughs> that we're all so excited about was sort of, you know, looming in the back of the mind and, and you know, soccer has a, has a, a mixed history when it comes to North America and with North American fans sort of being able to enjoy a, a good scoreless game without sort of, you know, falling back onto the old cliches of all oh, boring, boring soccer, you know? And so uh, for the league to sort of hit the ground running the way that, that it did with that, you know, the Forge-York 9 match uh, on inaugural weekend was just, 
considering how one-sided it was in a lot of ways, it was just a mm-hmm. really entertaining game of football. There was a lot of physicality, which I think will appeal to uh, to certain segments of the fan base over here. And and in addition to that, that didn't overshadow the amount of quality that was out there. I thought Tristan Borges, uh, Borges in that first match was just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's sort of been a, a week of discovery and... That that sounds a little bit weird, and it's something I'll talk about a little bit later on. Uh, is that we're still sort of feeling things out here, and there are a lot of names that have arrived at this league that have sort of been on the radar for years, but you never really got to see the guys play week in, week out. And mm-hmm. a lot of coaches that you know would would manage the U17 team, and, and you know in Canada we're very lucky if we're able to watch U17 matches. <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of people involved here that are familiar. But we haven't been able to sort of track them the way, the same way that that this league is going to provide. And so, for uh, for having what five matches in the books, six matches in the books, I'm uh, I've been incredibly impressed with with how it's all sort of gone. Not just in the produ- production aspect off the field, but but in the sheer quality on the pitch and and how entertaining every match has sort of been. As you mentioned, goals in every game. Some twists and turns of leads, you know, good crowds and people really getting into the uh, into the spirit of, of, you know, having a soccer team in your hometown. And that's just been uh, wonderful to see. Yeah. Which uh, which team stood out for you the most so far? Because I know it seems a little ridiculous talking about that. Uh, you know, a couple of games or one game into the season for for some clubs. But at the same time here, I mean, we're in a, you know, uh, spring season of this league where it's just 10 games and uh, you know after two games and if you're in a situation like Forge where you have one point after two games I mean it's it's not that it's over in terms of winning the championship but it, their their odds are significantly decreased um, so you know I, I think at, at the same time while it is so early uh, th- those initial impressions and certainly starting out well is important so is is there kind of a club that's that stood out to you so far especially I, I think in the sense that like you said, a lot of these players and, and you know, certainly he's playing together. We don't know or we didn't know what to fully expect from them. So we've, uh, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised by the quality. But at the same time, uh, you know, again, we're never fully sure how all the pieces are going to work together. And we've we've gotten an opportunity to see that at least a little bit so far. I'm going to cheat a little bit in answering your question. And I'll explain why I'm going to cheat <laughs> before I give you the two teams that I'm going to talk about and- as you mentioned, this spring season is. Uh, I've heard I've heard several people compare it to a sprint, and with ten games, you know the team that that wins this first part of the year may not be the best team overall. It might be mm-hmm. the team that just sort of either manages to put it together quicker or manages to somehow gut out results. And so that's why my my pick for the team that's most intrigued me is is sort of counterintuitive and that's forge and uh as you said with two uh, with a, a draw and a loss yet to pick up a win two of their 10 matches burnt already mm-hmm. one of their home matches gone uh they're not exactly in good shape when it comes to how they're going to look after eight more matches in, in terms of holding up that spring title but there's something about the way that they've played that's that's really sort of caught my eye and makes them perhaps the more fascinating team in the longer run when we start looking at that fall season and, and start looking towards the championship game in terms of who is going to be the best team in this league. And, you know, we all sort of were well aware going into the year that that with uh, with Coach Bobby's 
forge connections and a lot of these guys haven't grown up playing together or playing against each other. They were always going to have a little bit of an advantage in terms of they are all familiar intimately with the style that the coach wants them to play. And mm-hmm. We saw a whole lot of that, particularly in their home match, where the number of times that they were able to use width to get forward and then cut that ball back into the top of the area where there was acres of space, <laughs> but the play was just a little bit off. And, and it's one of those things where they're running the patterns that they know that they have to make it, then they're just not quite on the same on the same page the way that you need to be in order to pull things off in a soccer match. And so I think in terms of the style from all the teams that we've seen, I thought Forge was perhaps the most impressive and the one that in the long run might come out to, to be the best in the league. But that said, they've got one point after two matches, and that's not exactly a good place to be when uh, – when there's only 30 on offer in this part of the season. And so my backup for, <laughs> uh, for this conversation is Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of similar to Forge, Edmonton has a lot of guys that have played together before. They're all familiar with Jeff Paulus from his previous days at FC Edmonton. And, and they're a pretty veteran-laden squad when it comes to guys with, with NASL and USL and experience actually playing in Edmonton. And so... To go on the road to Winnipeg to get that point away to Valor. And maybe you weren't playing at your best, but you managed to sort of score those scrappy goals and you do enough to pick up three points on the road. And and that sort of ability to to grind out a result like that. Granted, it was early in the season and Valor was playing on short rest and all those sort of caveats that you have to throw in this time of year. But there was something about a team that's that's played one of these split-season calendars before and sort of knows that it's all just about you know, picking up the goals off mm-hmm. of garbage plays whenever you can and, and uh, you know, being tough to, to play against. Valor was very impressive when they went out to Pacific uh, earlier in the season and, and to go into their home opener and sort of shut them down for the most part was uh, was pretty impressive from Edmonton. So those are my two sort of picks for teams that have, have caught my eye, one for their style and one for the way that they just sort of got business done on a – in, a, in what's going to be a sprint of a season yeah, yeah and it's a good point uh, certainly about fc edmonton and forge the the familiarity that they have off the top fc edmonton being a, a club that already existed in the past and uh forge being a, a team based around a club that has has previously existed as well um is is just very helpful for for that initial sprint uh, you mentioned as well the the young players that we're kind of getting the opportunity to see and some of those names that we've heard as as Canadian men's national team prospects coming up that we now get to see week in, week out because of this league. Um, I, I wanted to ask about some of those names that, that you're kind of keeping an eye on this season and are interested in. I know certainly for me, Pacific FC is is the club that I think I'll probably be watching the most closely just because there's there's a few names on that team certainly that uh, I think could have national team future between uh, guys like Noah Verhoeven and uh, Emil Legault certainly and Caden Chung as well uh, guys who uh, I mean have played overseas who have had plenty of success in in kind of academy football and now are transitioning to 
uh, the professional ranks and that uh, Pacific team. I mean, it's very young. It's it's built up of a, a number of young players. Then uh, you adding guys like Isi and Nakajima Faran and and Marcus Haber and Ben Fisk, who are national team veterans and have played over in. I mean, if you're Isi, you've played basically in every league in the world. It seems at this point. Um, so they have all kinds of success that they can impart on those young guys. So that uh, that's kind of the club I'll I'll be watching. But are, are there any names that? Uh, you know, like, like you've said, you've heard through the years and and heard mentioned or, or maybe seen a couple games from at, at youth tournaments that uh, you now are fascinated to see how they'll do in the fully professional games. Yeah, there are so many. It's it's almost as if half the league is guys that we've sort of heard whispers about for the last four or five years. And to see them finally sort of get regular minutes in a way that we can track them and sort of see their progress is is one of the things that makes me most excited about about what's happening in this league, and you know, to sort of I don't want to want to bore you by by naming everybody, so I'll just pick a couple of guys from each team that have sort of struck my attention, and I'll start it out with with Cadell Thomas, who uh, who sort of has to be where we start this, you know, scoring two goals in uh, in as many games for Forge, and and coming on and scoring that that massive equalizer in the home opener to make sure the fans at Tim Hortons Field went home happy and. He's uh, it was really interesting to hear Coach Bobby talk about him post match because because as much as he was proud of a player that that he's watched grow and develop over the years and put in the hard work when when uh you know this path to a professional contract wasn't always necessarily clear to him he he was extremely proud of that but he was also uh, magnanimous enough to know that Thomas wasn't going to be the first name that we all sort of heard about that that put his name in lights there for us to to pay attention to and that's sort of going to be a, a regular occurrence with this league we're going to be hearing new names every couple of weeks guys that have have hit stride and and that's going to be one of the more fascinating things to watch so thomas as a a pacey winger with some ability to finish is, is definitely up there i must i mentioned borges from mm-hmm. forge as well who, who was absolutely devastating in that first match and I think we were all a little surprised that he didn't start in the second one though he came off the bench I thought Cyrus Rollicks is going to be a, a really interesting guy this is a, a player that's been in TFC circles at the academy for a couple of years and, and we were all a little surprised to see him leave that system uh, to play in League One Ontario last year and he's looked lively with York he, he maybe should have finished a couple of chances that he had but uh, he's one to definitely keep an eye on and on the York back line, I thought uh, Gogarty, the uh, the defender at the back, was just he's been a rock. And in that first mm-hmm. match, you know, you you it's always hard to sort of uh, follow a defender per se and and tell if they're if they're really doing things right because if they are doing things right, they they sort of disappear into the background of the game because it's setting yourself up to do well positioning wise and timing wise and and alertness wise that really determines how good of a job you do defensively but the thing that really struck me about him was how much of a, a magnet for the ball his head was his ability to to get on the end of those crosses and and with a lot of teams using width these days being a good header of the ball and, and having your positioning down such that you're in that danger spot where they're going to try and put it is just uh, fascinating and he's one that I've been told is going to turn some heads this year you mentioned at Pacific you know Noah Noah is a fascinating guy um when the Canadian national team had that group over in Toulon last year, I spoke to a bunch of the players afterwards and was sort of trying to mm-hmm. fish around and, and see who it was that had caught their attention. And the two names that came up the most were Derek Cornelius, who's now with the Vancouver Whitecaps, and Noah Verhoeven. 
and who was then with Fresno and now finds himself with Pacific. And he plays such an interesting position, that sort of second striker uh, facilitator role that, that I think seeing what he can do with Pacific is going to be uh, pretty neat to see. And same goes with Matthew Baldissimo and, and Taron Campbell there in the midfield, two other guys that I'm, I'm really interested to see what they can do. In uh, Valor, I've, I've, I've always lamented that Montreal didn't give their young players enough of a chance, and so Louis mm. Bellon de Goyette, if I'm not uh, no, that's absolutely destroying his name, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm taking, I've taken to calling him LBG, it's way easier. And there was a period where Montreal had several of those double-barreled last names, so they all mm-hmm. got they all got three-letter nicknames from me. Uh, <laughs> seeing seeing him get regular minutes and and do what he does with, with Valor is going to be interesting. I think the two Dillons, Sacramento and Carrero, are going to be really fascinating to watch. Uh, I think perhaps my favorite moment of this weekend was, was seeing Scott Firth, the uh, 17-year-old in Halifax, come out and his dad tweeting about it afterwards, which is always <laughs> just a, one of those meta sort of off-the-pitch things that, that uh, is worth a smile. And I thought Emilio Estevez looked pretty tidy in his York debut the other day, and and we've seen a couple of little looks at, at Tyler Otardo, the uh, the teenager out there in um, is he in Calgary or is he in well wherever <laughs> we've seen a couple of looks at at him as well, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I think that's just going to be one of the many sort of uh, storylines that we're following is who are these young guys and, and what can they do given this opportunity and who who is able to take to take it and make the most of it and make us pay attention to what they're doing. And, you know, having prepared for the start of the season, I know there are a lot of young players that are just itching for their chance to, to make a name for themselves. And so, uh, you know, two weeks in, uh, we got a couple more ahead of us. So I'll buckle up, you know? Yeah, certainly. And it's interesting. You mentioned a guy like Cadell Thomas, cause you almost, you almost forget about, uh, I guess at 22, a player that, uh, I mean, in 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 modern soccer, it's it seems so focused on the teenagers and the guys who, you know, by by 18 now, when we see guys like Mbappe and and players like that, you know, it almost seems like you should be playing first team minutes, and and there's such an expectation of young players now. But we've certainly seen in the Canadian system guys like Mark Anthony K, even even a guy like Jonathan Osorio. I know he started out when he was younger, but uh, in terms of really breaking into his final form, he kind of did it in, in recent years. So not every player develops l- linearly, and that's that's kind of why this league's so important is even some of those guys who are 22, 23, now when they're getting week-in, week-out minutes, uh, they might get an opportunity to to really develop a, and take their game to the next level and uh, y- you know maybe become kind of national team relevant i guess in, in that sense in in a much later time in their career than than we're used to in terms of the the traditional development pathway so uh yeah it's it's going to be very interesting to see how a number of these young players develop and uh, that's uh, for me that's what i'll be watching most uh in this league going forward aside from all the usual stories is how those young players are, are able to integrate in the fully professional game and uh certainly it's off to a great start uh, seeing a lot of these guys not only get opportunities um, but also you know it seems like they're playing without fear it's when we see some of these guys come up to MLS and it's just a byproduct of 
uh, of the league and, and and that sort of thing. They they look a little bit uh, hesitant sometimes. They don't necessarily try and express themselves. But when you're a guy like Noah Verhoeven and you're you're kind of the go-to guy in the midfield for Pacific, I mean, you kind of have to play. Uh, at least with a little bit of flash and that's certainly what he's done so far so uh, yeah certainly what I'm going to be keeping an eye on going forward Um, but uh, we'll we'll wrap up this episode there thanks as always for for hopping on James oh it's my my pleasure Mitchell I always enjoy a good chat yeah, and uh, we might have another good chat uh, on a bonus episode of the podcast coming up this week. Uh, not with James, I'll, I'll let you know who the guest is um, in, in the days ahead, so keep an eye out for that. But otherwise, uh, Toronto FC fans, enjoy this increased, uh, increased schedule of soccer. There's going to be a lot of it coming up, and we'll certainly learn a lot about this team. Until then, thanks for listening.